Hey guys, I'm your host Tara A. Devlin, and welcome to this week's episode of Kowabana, true Japanese scary stories from around the internet. Bankai, Baffling Japanese Internet Mysteries Volume 3 is now out. If you enjoy the particular mysteries that only the internet can offer, then do head over and check it out right now. We also have a brand new design up in the Kowabana merchandise store. You can check that out at kowabana.store. We have shirts, mugs, stickers, masks, and much more. So do check it out and help support the show at the same time. This week, we're taking a look at some ghostly encounters that will never leave their victims feeling the same ever again. First up, a young man goes missing in Osaka, and it's not long until both his friends and the police fear the worst. But a bizarre phone call puts a strange spin on matters, and it turns out he may still be out there somewhere, waiting for someone to find him. What's really going on? Find out in at Temma Bridge. This actually happened to me over 25 years ago. It happened at a particular place over the spring vacation, between my second and third years of high school, and this place was Osaka's financial centre, the area of Kitahama and Temmabashi. To be a little more precise, the area where the Temma Bridge goes over the Ol River, the Dojima River, Tosahori River, and Nakanoshima Park. One day in March, the mother of one of my close friends called me. Saito-kun, were you with Kenji yesterday? No, I didn't see him. It seemed like a normal conversation, and because I often hung out with friends like him, such phone calls weren't exactly rare, and I didn't think much of it. When I called my other friends to check, however, it turned out that Kenji's mother had also called them, because he hadn't come home the night before. But, like me, none of them had seen him either. In the end, his worried mother filed a missing persons report with the police that night and prayed for her son's safe return. The very next day, however, she received a phone call from the Higashi police station. We received a report of someone jumping into a river under our jurisdiction two days ago. We still have some of the items from that particular case, so would you be able to come in and check if they are related to your son? Kenji's mother wasn't sure that it was actually her son, but she decided to check anyway. The police showed her some sneakers, as well as some socks that had been taken off and placed inside. The shoes were found neatly lined up right by the middle of Temma Bridge, and although they didn't find any note, they considered it a strong possibility that the owner of the shoes had jumped. The sneakers were regular shoes that you could find anywhere, but because they did match the ones Kenji wore, his mother went home to check. The officer in charge said, We've been asking around the area, but at present, we haven't found any witnesses. Therefore, we cannot say for certain whether the person jumped or disappeared somewhere. At any rate, Kenji's mother looked for his shoes when she got home, but she couldn't find any. So, the likelihood of him wearing them the day he disappeared was high. She called the police station to let them know. Of course, being his mother, she didn't want to think that he jumped into the river, but the officer in charge said, This is terribly difficult to say. But if you so wish, we can take you to the river where we found the shoes, just in case. 
He then added, Because it will be difficult to find the body after some time has passed, it would be best if you made a decision quickly. We were worried, so we went over to Kenji's house the next day, and his mother explained everything that had happened up until that point. There's no way he could have done something like that, we thought on the way home, and we hoped and prayed that he would come home within the next two or three days. However, more than a week passed with no sign of Kenji's return, and so they decided to finally search the river. When we got the call, three of Kenji's good friends, including myself, and his family went over to the scene. A large number of police and firefighters from the area joined us as well. There were no divers. Instead, they threw ropes with keys attached from the shore and from boats, and then pulled them back in. As I watched them do their best to throw and pull the ropes, I honestly believed that Kenji still had to be alive somewhere. Feeling somewhat confused, I joined them in their work. On a side note, according to a firefighter who was working on the site, there were numerous people who had jumped into the river before, but it was always rather difficult to actually find the bodies. In the end, we only pulled up a large amount of rubbish, and we were unable to find any evidence that Kenji was or had been there. On the one hand, we were relieved, but on the other hand, we also wanted to find him as soon as possible. Feeling confused, we all went home. The search continued for three days after that, but we were only able to participate on the first day. After that, they only allowed his family members. But in the end, the search still found nothing, so it was temporarily called off, and the police said they would contact Kenji's mother if anything came up. Just like the first day of the search, Kenji's family and us friends were sure that he was still alive, and we spent our time trying to turn that anxiety into hope. But then, that night, something strange happened. Someone called Kenji's family, and his mother thought that it might be him. Kenji? Kenji? Where are you? His mother said after a brief silence. Find me. Please. Was all the voice on the other end said, before the phone hung up. Naturally, as his mother, Kenji's mother thought that he must be hiding somewhere, too embarrassed to come home. Therefore, he was waiting for someone to find him. However, it seemed that at that exact same time, several of Kenji's friends, including me, all got that same phone call as well. In fact, although I was also worried, I thought much the same as Kenji's mother. He had to be hiding somewhere. I called my friends and Kenji's mother after I got that call, however, and that hope soon morphed into fear when I realised that they all got the same call at the same time as well. Something strange was going on. And about an hour after I got that call that seemed to be from Kenji, another one of our friends who was at the search then called me. He said that he knew an older lady who could see ghosts and such, and although they didn't talk much, she had received that same call as well. She called him and first thing she said was, Tatsuhiko, do you know anyone in a situation like this? 
She started to explain the characteristics of this particular person that sounded awfully like Kenji, and when he asked her for more details, she said that the night following Kenji's disappearance, a young man around our age suddenly appeared by her bedside. According to her, this wasn't exactly a rare occurrence, so she didn't pay much attention to it. However, night after night, that same young man appeared to her, his expression becoming more and more grim. It seemed he wanted to say something, and that was likely why he called us. On top of that, she said that he was not in a good way, and getting worse by the day. She said we had to find him as soon as possible, so we decided to go and search the scene again on our own. Although, to be honest, it was less of us performing a search and more about the lady trying to figure out what was going on so that we could, hopefully, find him. We hoped, at the very least, to narrow down his location. The very next night, I went with my friend over to the lady's house, and then we took a taxi from there to the scene of the crime. On the way over, she told us about that particular location. She said that much of Osaka, including that site, had been bombed during the war, and many people died. So many of them died that the river was full of them. As such, the malice of those who died there still lingered like a vortex, and because there was so much ill will in the same place, it all joined to become one. Supposing we were to call these spirits Onyo, then these Onyo stirred up each spirit's individual regrets, and their only purpose was to make living people feel those same things, to make them one of their friends. And so she explained that it wasn't that Kenji himself wanted to die, but rather that the spirits had guided him there. If you're depressed or troubled, then you better not approach this place even by mistake, she then said. And when you do come here for something like this, make sure you have this on hand. She handed me a small piece of folded paper with salt inside. If something doesn't feel right, sprinkle that salt on your feet. As we were talking, we arrived at Temma Bridge, one street west of the location. We planned to get out on the side of the bridge and then head over from there, but as soon as we got out, the woman started crossing the bridge. We wondered if maybe she had some sort of plan in mind and watched her, but she started walking abnormally fast towards the centre of the bridge instead. Hey, where are you going? We panicked and called out. We ran after her, but she didn't answer, and growing worried, I put a hand on her shoulder to stop her. Let go of me! She screamed. She wasn't the same person as before. A deep, male voice escaped her lips, and she threw me off with incredible strength. This really wasn't good, I thought, and panicking, I tried to grab her from behind to stop her. She screamed somebody's name, although I couldn't make out whose, and claimed that this person was waiting for her. Let me go! She didn't seem to care that I was holding onto her, and continued to drag me towards the centre of the bridge, and it finally took all three of us to stop her. However, she continued shouting strange names, 
and showed no signs of stopping. We panicked and tried desperately to bring her back to her senses, calling out to her, hitting her on the back, and pouring the salt she gave us on her as well. Although, it might be more accurate to say we were throwing it at her. This continued for a short while, until finally she answered us in a weak voice. I'm okay now. We stopped what we were doing and again watched over the woman for a moment. Thank you. If you didn't do your best to stop me just now, then I would have joined your friend, she said. Everyone went pale. The Onyo inhabiting this place were just that powerful, able to enter a gap in someone's mind. But for people with a strong supernatural sense, well, it was like a double-edged sword. Regardless of their mental state, it made them extremely easy to make contact with. Therefore, it was even more dangerous for them than it was for regular people, unless they were extremely careful. When we asked her to explain further, she explained that it seemed the spirits knew why we were there. And they don't want us to find Kenji again. The spirits she told us about in the taxi were trying to keep us from Kenji, and it seemed they had affected our earlier search as well. With all of this happening, I thought that we would go home, but instead the woman continued. If we leave, then Kenji will become one of them. And so we decided to continue, hoping to at least narrow the location down. Each of us sprinkled salt on the spot. Then we all held hands and decided to head over to Nakanoshima Park from the bridge. I can't pinpoint the exact location yet, but it would seem that he is somewhere downstream from the park, the woman said. Lots of homeless people lived at that park, and there weren't that many nice stories about it either. It apparently wasn't the nicest place around. We all went down the stairs to the park. The edge of the park was to the east, but we didn't go that way. Instead, we went to go under the bridge towards the river on the southwest side, and as we did, the woman whispered to us, Go now! Quickly! We all passed under the bridge, and as we did, I heard a muffled laugh coming from the pier. It seemed everyone else heard it too, and as we picked up the pace, a cold sweat running down my back, this time, we heard something clearly directed at us. Leave this place. The tone of voice was calm, yet very loud. We all turned to look in the direction of the voice, and it looked like an old man dressed entirely in black stood there. It was dark, so it was hard to tell. The only thing I could clearly see was the outline of his face. Because we could clearly see a man standing there, I thought, he must be a homeless person, and we were all somewhat relieved. But when we turned around, the woman said, That's a Shinigami. You mustn't look at it anymore. You didn't meet its gaze, did you? We all shook our heads. No, no, we said, and then put some distance between us. Seemed that was one of the onryo that she was talking about earlier, and... It was looking for people with a gap in their mind, so it could make them join the other spirits. Because all these strange events kept happening, 
The woman seemed to be worried about us. You guys should call it a day. I'll come back again by myself and have a look around, she said. And so, we gave up the search, continued west to the park, left via Number Bridge, hailed a taxi, and then returned to the woman's house. You saw that Shinigami's eyes, didn't you? The woman asked one of my friends in the taxi. He gave a curt nod. I knew it. We didn't sense anything, but the woman clearly felt that the Shinigami took a keen interest in one of my friends, and that was why she called the search off. When we arrived at the woman's house, she turned to my friend. You, take off your jacket, she said. None of us had noticed it, but there was a black handprint on the left shoulder, a mark that might otherwise be written off as a large stain. Look at this, she said. Now do you understand? You must never go back near that place again. And I'll cleanse this jacket, so leave it with me. And so he left his jacket with her. We were all cleansed by the woman, and then we went home. That's the end of that experience, but not quite the end of the story. About a month passed with no change in the situation and no word from that woman either. And roughly a month after Kenji disappeared, his body was found a short distance from where we had searched in the Dotonbori River. Filled with both relief and terrible regret, we were finally able to hold a memorial service for him. Tatsuhiko tried to call the woman to let her know, but she never answered her phone. Finding this odd, Tatsuhiko told his parents that he was unable to get into contact with her, and so they contacted her older sister for him. It turned out that ever since that day, she had been in the hospital. Nobody knew what the cause was, but when the woman's older sister visited her house and noticed something odd, she apparently called an ambulance and she was hospitalised. Hearing this, we panicked and went to visit her, but she had been in a coma the entire time, and so we were unable to speak to her. Then, it seemed, she passed away the very next day. The call went through to Tatsuhiko's parents. Her exact cause of death and other details remained unclear. And that's everything. I have no idea if there's any relation between what happened and that woman's death. However, if she hadn't been there with us that time, then I truly worry that we would have met the same fate instead. There's one thing that still bothers me though. When Kenji jumped, it had been raining until after lunchtime that day, and so the river was higher than usual. Wouldn't that mean that it would have been easier for him to find his way to the edge of the park then. And not only that, but there were no witnesses who saw him immediately before or after jumping. The only thing they ever found were his shoes that had been left behind. Not a lot of people walk over that bridge, but there is a lot of traffic and cars, so the police said that it was odd that not a single person saw him that day. Finally, there's no way to know whether he was released from their grips or not, but because we held a memorial service for him, I believe that he was able to move on and is resting now. I also hope that woman rests in peace too. 
In this next story, a group of high school friends are bored and hear a story about a public phone that is supposedly haunted. With nothing better to do, they decide to check it out, but it's a decision that will change all of their lives. Not all will return from this trip alive. Find out why in Public Phone in the Mountains. This may be a little out of the blue, but I'm not very good at dealing with public phones. That's not to say that phones themselves are the problem, or that I find it easier to text or anything. But every time I get a phone call, my heart feels like something's gripping it tightly. It all started one summer. It was the five of us. Me, Marui, Takashima, Ise, and Temma. It was always the five of us, and we were always hanging out like we did when we were bored. Just like the lights of a convenience store in summer attract bugs, so did it attract bored high school students. And I was one of them. Convenience stores in the countryside have massive parking lots. We visited that store so much that we often chatted with the staff when they weren't so busy. Although, having said that, we actually knew the owner of the store too. He was one of those friendly guys characteristic of the countryside. Man, isn't there something fun to do around here? Someone would say at least once a day. Nope, nothing, several people would reply. But on this day, it was a little different. If you kids want to do something, well, I heard an interesting story from someone, so why don't you go check it out, the owner said. He then introduced us to a taxi driver. They say there's a public phone that may or may not be haunted. The taxi driver started his story. There's a place called Morikake Cemetery that's famous amongst us drivers. Behind that, you'll find a mountain road, and the public phone there is supposedly haunted. If you pass by that way, you can reach the highway quicker. So, when I have a passenger who needs to travel some distance, I generally go past it. I've never seen anything myself, but people are always going on about it being haunted around Obon, so now is probably the perfect time to go. Public phones at the time were disappearing, and with the rise of cell phones, there seemed to be less and less of them around. They were pretty rare. And so, when we all heard that, we were like, well, we have nothing else to do, might as well go check it out. It wasn't like we had any other choices, and if the choice was simply to go or not go, then anyone would reluctantly accept. And that was how we felt. It was about an hour away by bike. We passed through a long tunnel on the way, and then finally arrived at our destination. There was a single white light in the darkness. There were no street lights or anything, and the public phone seemed to stand out as the only thing around. Is this it? We all huddled together and excitedly discussed whether this was the haunted phone or not. Perhaps that alone was enough, or perhaps we'd already gotten bored of it, but someone soon suggested that we head back home, and so we got back on our bikes. At that moment, the phone rang. 
We all froze at the oddly loud sound. It was at that moment we realised just how oddly quiet it was, and we couldn't even hear any cars on the road near the cemetery. It was the middle of the night, and we were on a mountain road in the countryside. The mountains were darker than even I ever imagined they might be. The only light around was the fluorescent light coming from the phone. And that sound coming from it at regular intervals was so loud. But oddly, that only made me notice the surrounding silence even more. The phone continued ringing, as though trying to push us to answer it. I started to wonder if it would keep ringing until one of us did. Looking back on it now, we really should have gotten the hell out of there. But it was like we had to answer it. Like this was a test of courage for us. Hey, you answer it. No, you do it. Everyone started bickering nervously, and the phone continued ringing. Fine, I'll answer it, Madui said. He was kind of like our leader. He approached the phone, somewhat nervously, and then opened the door. Now, not everyone may realise this, but public phones are only supposed to fit one person inside. You don't really see big barrier-free ones around the place, but all of us tried to squeeze inside like sardines in a tin. It was too frightening otherwise. Or at least, I thought so. Leaving the door open, Marui picked up the receiver and then turned it towards us so we could all hear. Hey. Somebody was talking on the other end, but it was hard to make out what they were saying. Either way, there was definitely someone there and they repeated what they said again. In. E. A. Those sounds kept repeating. Then, before long, the phone hung up. I was kinda scared at first, but now I'm somewhat relieved, Madui said as he hung up the phone. I pretended that I wasn't scared as well, and joked about it making for a great story sometime. By the next day, we had all forgotten about it. We gathered at the convenience store like always, and it wasn't long until somebody asked, Isn't there anything to do around here? Another two days later, Madui died. It was so sudden, and none of us had any idea what was going on. After the wake and funeral, none of us could say a thing. I've heard a lot about you guys, his older brother said to us with tears in his eyes. Thank you for being such good friends of his. After, we all gathered at a nearby family restaurant, rather than the convenience store, to talk. We were still in our morning clothes, and we wanted to sit and have a real chat as well. It still doesn't feel real, Ise said, avoiding voicing Madui's death out loud. Yeah, when was the last time we saw him? At the convenience store? Yeah, not like we ever leave that place. The other three laughed quietly and bitterly. I think they were trying to figure out how to deal with Marui's loss. It wasn't long after we went to that phone, yeah? 
Yeah, that's right. It hung up after muttering that nonsense. Honestly, I was kind of freaked out at the time. Everyone laughed, but they also agreed. What do you think the person on the other end was saying, though? I think we were all trying to avoid the topic of Marui's death. Yeah, I don't know. Ghosts aren't real anyway. We all muttered different things, trying to make light of the scary situation. It wasn't some ad for a car club, was it? No, maybe it was a radio wave check or something. But there sure was a lot of background noise, huh? We laughed as we chatted, trying our best to keep the conversation bright. In E A. In E A. In E days. In three days. In three days? What's that supposed to mean? Hey, what the hell? Marui died three days after that call. He died three days after we visited that phone. Two hours later, we stood in front of that same phone again. If this phone really was the reason he died, then we had to avenge him. Each of us held a bat or hammer in hand. It must have looked odd, seeing high schoolers in funeral outfits riding their bikes with dangerous weapons in hand. We waited until the sun went down. Then, the phone rang. Nobody said a thing. Issa stepped forward and then went into the booth. The rest of us followed. We jammed ourselves in and again left the door open behind us. Hello? There was no sound on the other end. Just something like white noise. We waited, but then it started beeping and hung up. Hey, maybe it was just a coincidence. A car's headlights illuminated us, and then it passed by. Thanks to that, I felt oddly embarrassed about what we were doing. Yeah, maybe. What the hell are we doing? We look like idiots. Ise laughed, and then the rest of us laughed too. However, we also felt somewhat guilty that we couldn't do anything about Marui's death as well. We wanted there to be some reason for it. There was no such thing as ghosts. There was no way Marui could have died because of something like that. <laughs> but then the phone rang again. We all looked at each other in silence. The first to move was Takashima. He picked up the phone and put it to his ear. In. U. A. I can't hear you. Speak louder, dammit. In. Two. Days. Suddenly, the phone hung up. In two days, Temma muttered. Two days? You idiots believe that. You trying to say I'm gonna die in two days, huh? Takashima screamed, although we were unsure at who. Yeah, nah, you're right. Sorry, Temma apologized, and then Ise and I joined in. Yeah, it was just a coincidence. Totally. The lines must have gotten mixed up or something. 
Yeah, no doubt, we all said with a laugh. Two days later, Takashima died. After we went to his casket viewing, we dropped by our usual convenience store. We wanted to ask the owner about that taxi driver. It was Ise, Temma, and I. The only three remaining of us five friends from just a few short days ago. It wasn't that we were lonely or that something felt wrong, but rather that this wasn't the norm. Like an arm and a leg had been cut off. God damn it. We arrived at the convenience store. When the owner saw us, he looked sad and offered us three colas. I'm so sorry to hear what happened. Sir, do you have that taxi driver's phone number? Ah, that guy from before? No, I don't. Do you have some business with him? We wanted to ask him about the public phone. Public phone? Oh, that. Ah, I see. Uh, All right. I'll have him send you a message next time he comes in. And so, for the first time, we exchanged numbers with the store owner. One week passed, and then two, but there was no contact from the taxi driver. We also stopped going to the convenience store. One day, my phone rang. I'm here. It was Ise. That was all he said, and then he hung up. I got on my bike and started riding. How many times had I been up this road now? And every single time I rode up it, one of my friends died. The only light in the darkness was coming from that phone. There was nothing else around. Nothing? Yes, not even people. The phone rang. That sharp, bell-like sound pierced the dark night. It was too dark to see anything other than the phone, and so, naturally, my eyes focused on the source of that sound. I was so afraid that my legs trembled. Something creaked oddly loud, and then I was inside the booth. The door closed with a light sound behind me, and before me, the phone noisily rang. I picked it up with a shaky hand, but I couldn't place it to my ear. The voice on the other end muttered something. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to hear it. With my free hand, I pulled out my phone and tried to call Ise. The phone said it was out of range. God damn it, at a time like this? I put my hand on the door to leave, but it wouldn't budge. It made such a light sound just before, but now it was solid, like a wall. The voice on the other end of the phone kept muttering something. That was enough. Someone, help me! I banged on the door. Someone! Anyone! Footsteps. I could see someone's feet up ahead. A face suddenly appeared before me, although I couldn't see who. Help me! I tried to scream, but then I realized that those feet, those feet weren't wearing any shoes. Nobody would walk around the mountain barefoot. On top of that, the whiteness made me realize that this wasn't someone I should be asking for help. I was terrified. Bang, 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 bang. 
something banged on the glass. I couldn't see anything. But then, with a bang, a palm suddenly appeared in the darkness. Bang, bang, bang! It hit the glass without any real power behind it. Just when I thought the sound was coming from in front of me, then it came from behind me. The sound of the palm hitting the glass came from all directions. The oddly white feet and the hand. That was all I could see and everything else was dark. A voice still whispered on the other end of the phone. Stuck in this tiny space like this, I felt I might lose my mind. A hand with oddly long fingers poked in from beneath the gap in the glass. Then it pulled back. It snuck back in and then pulled back out. First one hand, then two hands, increasing more and more each time. Were they looking for me? No way. I jumped around so that the hands didn't touch me. There were so many of them. They all appeared and disappeared around my feet. All the while, a voice muttered on the phone. That's enough! I'm sorry! I suddenly screamed in reply. The hands that were trying to grab me suddenly retreated back into the darkness. Then, I clearly heard the voice on the other end of the phone. Now. 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 I can't do this anymore, I thought pathetically, as all the energy drained from my body. At that moment, a loud sound pierced my ears. Glass shattered all around me. Pieces of it hit my face and my clothes. Ise and Tenma were destroying the phone. Hey, are you okay? I'm saved, I thought, and then I fell to the ground. We returned to the convenience store and chatted and drank some hot coffee as we tried to calm down. My version of events didn't seem to line up with theirs. According to them, I was going nuts inside the phone. That was the only thing they saw. People? Hands? They didn't know anything about that. And Ise never actually called me to begin with either. And for sure, when I checked my call history, there was nothing there from him. So why did I think that voice was from Ise? It had sounded so strangely feminine and monotonous. Ise tried visiting both my house and Temma's. He was able to meet up with Temma, but when he couldn't contact me, they decided to check that phone to see if I was there. And when they got there, they found me acting up inside. The whole thing ended in mystery. That taxi driver never showed up at the convenience store again. The store owner seemed to know why the driver told us that story, but he never said anything about it to us. I still can't get that voice out of my head. And that's why I don't like public phones anymore. For our last story this week, a young girl's grandfather suddenly falls ill. They all fear that he'll pass away soon, but it seems he's not quite done yet. Or is he? Find out in Grandpa's Ghost. When I was an elementary school student, my grandfather on my mother's side suddenly fell ill and was hospitalised. My younger brother and I rushed to the hospital with our parents 
and Grandpa was lying in bed, attached to a respirator. We tried talking to him, but there was no response. Even I, just a kid in elementary school, thought there was a chance that he might not survive. After a while, my mother decided to take my brother and I home for a bit. Our father remained at the hospital and said he would call if anything changed. It was late at night, much later than our usual bedtime, so by the time we got home, we fell asleep right away. I woke up the next morning as the sun was about to rise. I'm the type who has trouble waking up even with an alarm clock, but although I slept for a much shorter time than usual, I felt clear and refreshed. I turned over, thinking that I might go back to sleep again, but I almost screamed when I saw my sleeping brother. Right next to him sat my grandfather, who was at the hospital. Why was he in our house? I was so confused, but then the phone rang. Grandpa was apparently in a critical condition and we needed to get in a taxi and head over to the hospital right away. When I turned back to where he had just been, he was gone. So, in my dream, Grandpa tapped me on the shoulder, my brother said as we were in the taxi. Oh yeah, our mum said, although she wasn't really listening to him. But I listened in silence, wondering if that was really true. Did I actually see our grandfather's ghost that morning? Did his spirit leave his body, even though he wasn't actually dead yet? It's a little embarrassing, but even now as an adult, I'm still not very good with ghosts and monsters and things. Now that I'm older, I can think about these things, but at the time, I was honestly just terrified. When we arrived at the hospital, the entire family was there, and Grandpa was about to take his last breath. Everybody spoke to him one last time, but there was no response. Then, when the doctor confirmed it, Grandpa passed away. I was so caught up in the fact that I had seen Grandpa's ghost that I was honestly too scared to cry. Yeah, I was sad and tears came out, but I also had goosebumps and kept looking around the room. Until Grandpa's body was taken away for the funeral, I was worried that his ghost might suddenly appear somewhere again. But I never saw his ghost again, and then the day of cremation arrived. As they burnt his body, it was like a real, final goodbye, and I cried my eyes out. I put my hands together in prayer and said one final thing to him. Grandpa, thank you for everything. The cremation took quite a bit of time, and I needed to go to the toilet. Once I was done, I stood in front of the mirror to wash my hands. There, I saw my grandfather reflected behind me. Of course, when I turned around, nobody was there. I ran from the toilets, but I felt it would be a little rude to suddenly scream, I saw Grandpa's ghost! It was his funeral, after all. After I grew up, I spoke to my family about it, and they all agreed it sounded like something he would do. He was a cheeky old man who loved kids. But even so, I sure wish that he didn't have to show up as a ghost in front of me. Inside, I felt bad for him, but at the same time, I was terrified as well. 
I never saw his ghost again after that, but I've no doubt that he's still laughing about how terrified I looked in heaven, even now. Don't forget to check out Bunkai, Baffling Japanese Internet Mysteries Volume 3, out on Amazon right now. And check out our newly revamped merchandise store at kowabana.store. And if you'd like to chat about this week's stories, come and join us in the Kowabana Discord. You can find that link in the description or on kowabana.net. You can also check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Tara A. Devlin for exclusive bonus stories and extras, or our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Japan for all sorts of Japanese horror you won't find anywhere else. Thanks guys, stay safe, and I'll see you again next time for even more Kowabana, true Japanese scary stories from around the internet. Want even more scary stories? Head over to kowabana.net for new translations every week. You can also join our Patreon for exclusive stories you won't find anywhere else. Head over to kowabana.net now.